everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor Amos Grunendike. Welcome, guys. Thanks for coming. Uh, glad if you're joining us on the live stream, and maybe I'll see some of you at the picnic. It's going to be kind of warm, so I brought these, but uh, I think there's going to be a breeze, and we'll have umbrellas, and it'll be fun. It'll be good. Anyway, my name is Amos. I'm one of the lead pastors here, and before we get started, I have a few things to talk through. First of all, we, got, we all did a survey, and uh, I love surveys at the Vineyard. Because they are so revealing, not conclusive, <laughs> but revealing. No, seriously, like it's, it's, so many of you are saying like, this is really a tough decision on what COVID protocols we should follow and what the church should do. And we're with you and we love you and we're committed to the church. And um, I, I just, I guess I'll, I'll show you the the results that reveal the perspectives that exist inside of our church. And you'll see that, if this graph is up, 40% of people believe that we should follow the CDC's recommendations here at the Vineyard. 40% of people think we should take the masks off for everyone at the first uh, possible opportunity. And uh, the rest are like between undecided and July 1st. So here's what this means. Whatever perspective you hold is a minority perspective. I think that's great. Isn't that great? Uh, The thing really to celebrate, though, is that even throughout, I think, a year where there was so much potential for division, we have held together many different viewpoints, many different people, people who just experience the world differently and think differently. And so as we wrestled through these results, but also the question of not whether or not masks are good or bad and not whether or not vaccines are good or bad, but whether or not to basically enforce the CDC's recommendations. Um, we, we weighed, as the COVID advisory team, like the, the safety of our local church community with the... Uh, like the the freedom of people to make their own choices and assume their own risks. And so while there wasn't a unanimous recommendation from our COVID advisory team, it was one that I would say was far more unified than I was even expecting. And so what we've decided to do is we've decided to make masks optional outside, effective immediately, but ask people to continue to wear masks indoors until June 1st. And we're doing that for a couple of reasons. You might, be, you might have all kinds of questions, like why would we not follow the CDC's recommendations? <clears throat> why have you waited so long to make masks optional? Why are you making masks optional so soon? Right? <laughs> There's the... There's the gamut. I want to talk through some of the reasons and then just kind of give some pastoral guidance, I suppose. So the first reason that we wanted to make this choice in particular, uh, 
is that it was important to really all of us that we do something that was as unifying as possible. And I know that there are still people who will disagree with this decision to wait until June 1st to make masks, masks optional for everybody. We wanted to make masks optional for everybody at the same time because of unity. We didn't want to create a situation where, you know, I'm, I'm not wearing a mask and I'm unvaccinated or I'm, you know, I'm being forced to wear a mask and now you know that I'm making a choice to not be vaccinated. We wanted to avoid <clears throat> the tears and the, the isolation or the just the separation and the division that that could cause. The second thing, uh, the reason why we feel like June 1st is significant is because the vaccine access really shifted about five weeks ago, where if you wanted to be vaccinated, you could be. And so by June 1st, almost everybody I know in our church will be vaccinated. And uh, that's true, for instance, of our pastoral staff. Our pastoral staff will be fully vaccinated by June 1st. Uh, and I, I like think about the safety of them and the comfortability of our pastoral staff. But it, uh, it, there's just like the opportunity to be vaccinated if you want to be fully by the end of this month. The third thing is to wait until June 1st gives us all a little bit of time to adjust. So that's true for us like mentally, that's true for us emotionally, uh, but that's also true for the worship teams, right? So I, I like I think about the worship teams an awful lot. I think about you guys. I love you guys. I care about you guys. And I wanted you guys to have time to adjust and choose. Like if I'm in a room where people aren't wearing masks, uh, do I want to be leading in worship? And you guys have been so faithful, and I, I appreciate you. Um, Fourthly, and this is part of the consideration of like if, if you're not feeling safe indoors with people not wearing masks, there is still the outside service through the month of June. And I think, I think the world's going to be pretty different again by the time July starts. And so let me now move into like some pastoral guidance. I think something that is very common for humans whenever we disagree or whenever we make choices that other people wouldn't or we see people making choices that we wouldn't, our tendency is to judge motives. We assume that because they make a choice that is different than ours, we know their heart, we know why they're making that choice. And so I'm just going to ask you to notice the judgmental tendencies in your heart. They exist. None of us have graduated from judgmental free zone school, okay? Notice the judgmental tendencies in your heart. Um, I'm fully vaccinated, I was in Wawa, I like believe the vaccine works and so I wasn't wearing my mask, but man, you like kind of notice who's wearing your mask and who's not wearing their mask. Has anybody else experienced that? It's like, whoa, I have never noticed people in Wawa so acutely. And, I'm, and I feel safe, you know, and I want to project like it's, it's safe. <laughs> but, man, I noticed, and I'm thinking, oh, I noticed who's wearing a mask and who's not wearing a mask. It's like, don't judge. Don't judge. I don't know if they're vaccinated or not. Don't judge, right? So whatever side of the, you know, 40% line you fall on, exert extra energy 
to reduce your judgment and especially motives. Think about, notice when you jump to the place of motive. Well, they're, they don't care about people. That would be a judgment of motive. They don't care about freedom. That would be a judgment of motive. They don't care about, okay. The next thing I will say is if, there's, some, there's a Bible passage that I think we all just need to wrestle with a little bit. And in terms of whether we're going to follow the CDC guidance or not personally. The church has decided not to like have the COVID protocol starting June 1st. But I think personally we need to wrestle with why we wouldn't wear a mask if we're unvaccinated, even though the CDC is recommending it. Romans 13 says, submit to your governing authorities. Basically, God put those authorities in place for a reason, and I know there's corruption. You, th you don't think the uh, audience of Romans, one living in Rome in the first century, didn't know that there was corruption in their government? Like, talk about Caesar. I mean, who, uh, you know, <laughs> the Caesars were not necessarily good people. The Senate was not necessarily a good institution back in Rome 2,000 years ago. There was corruption in government, and yet the writer of Romans, Paul, says, submit to your governing authority. So I'm going to trust that if you come without a mask and are unvaccinated, you've wrestled with that passage. And you're making that choice, not out of a place of rebellion, but out of like a place of thoughtful, considerate, tension. And so then my commitment to you, I'm going to trust that you've wrestled with Romans 13, then I'm not going to judge you. Or I'm going to like, again, I'm speaking to us all. This is what I'm asking our church to do. To assume the best, trust that people have wrestled with the data, that they're making the best choice for their family, and in particular, considered Romans 13. I think that's all I want to say about that. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we know that you hold us together. It is your spirit that enlivens our hearts and also creates unity within the body. And so despite our differences, and despite our different perspectives, and despite our different beliefs, and despite our different choices, we put you at the center of our church. And we want to choose relationships first. And so I pray for anybody who's like just angry, or not listening, or frustrated, or feeling shame, and I ask for, a f for freedom, like the kind of freedom that you give to just love and listen and be and stay committed to each other. And so, Holy Spirit, come and move among us. We know that you're doing all kinds of work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, speaking of like some of the work that Jesus is doing and that like our church has been able to do as uh, ambassadors to his kingdom, uh, a couple months ago, I think it was March, we did our Four Corners offering, and it went to Rescue Team Kenya. So, And the, the director there, Robert, sent me a couple pictures. So they used that money to buy food. And so here's a picture of 
uh, one of the students there. It's like a school orphanage type situation. Uh, just saying thank you to the vineyard. Uh, here's a picture of some kids like touching the food. They're like pretty excited about some of the food that was bought with the money we sent them. And here's a picture of, of a kid eating the food. Like this is the work of the kingdom, guys. So thank you for your generosity. Robert acknowledges the sacrifice of like financially supporting uh, what they're doing over in Kenya in the name of Jesus. So guys, thank you so much. In terms of like giving and generosity, did you guys know that today is also a giveaway Sunday? Okay, so a few times a year, we take everything that's put in the black boxes and, or black baskets, those are the giving boxes, like that you would give to the church normally and give it away. This year, we're doing something a little different than we've done in the past. We're going to take the gifts and actually split them between three organizations that I would say are our three primary local partners. The first is Bridge of Hope. You've been hearing about them. The second is Good Samaritan Shelter. We support them and partner with them all the time. And the third is the Pottstown Warming Center. And so if you want to give to that, you can give in the baskets. If you give online, like in a monthly kind of way, I'll send out an email about this too, but we're going to just look at kind of what your monthly gift would be and just say 25% of that is going to the giveaway Sunday, unless you come and tell us different, like we want to give more, we want to give less. I would say, I would challenge you, I would invite you, that if you're not someone who gives regularly to the church, pray about, sometimes this, sometime this week or today, giving just 1% of your income to this initiative, which will be split uh, to these three organizations. What would it mean if you're not someone who already kind of gives in a substantial, significant, generous way to give 1% of your, I don't care if it's gross or net, or you guys just all filed your taxes, right? Like they were due a couple weeks ago. You you probably know what your AGI is, whatever. Think about giving 1% away this week. You can give, like I said, today, or if you give like a special gift online today or this week, we'll notice that. We'll see it. We'll count it. Um, so that is the transition point to our new series, Blood, Fire, and Gospel. We're studying Leviticus. Yes. And also today is a special Christian holiday. Who knows? Pentecost Sunday. Guys, Pentecost Sunday. If you didn't know it was Pentecost, it's okay because I think this is the Christian holiday that gets forgotten because there's no Hallmark cards and there's no gifts that are given, and there's not traditionally like ham involved, which is a shame. Uh, I'm having roast beef at the picnic, but anyway, that's a little different. Maybe that could be my new tradition, roast beef uh, on Pentecost. Anyway, uh, this is like a top three Christian holiday. Like Easter is the clear number one. Christmas is like pretty important, like the incarnation, God with us, God comes to us. But the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is celebrated on Pentecost, is like, especially when you look at the letters of Paul, and this is a lot of the New Testament, a lot of what he says about God, about what God is doing, uh, the entire book of Acts is all about the work of the Holy Spirit. It all kind of hinges on the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. You say, I thought we were doing a series on Leviticus. Why are we in Acts chapter 2? Well, uh, you'll find out. So, oh, I forgot to mention, um, I would love for you guys to bring your paper Bibles for this series. I think I would love that if you did it all the time, but I know I didn't warn you. 
If you're coming to the picnic, well, you'll everyone here will be getting a text in like 30 minutes about a remi- about like, hey, bring your Bibles. But I didn't want to send out a text at nine because I know some people in our church still sleeping at nine. That's okay. Uh, I have a stack of Bibles just like this one on a stool right back there. So if you want to track along, I think there's. I like paper Bibles because if I look at a Bible on a phone, you know what happens? I'm on Facebook in like 10 seconds. So paper Bibles, and uh, if you don't have one of these. Uh, you know, if you get baptized at the vineyard, you get one of these. Not a great reason necessarily to get baptized, but a perk of baptism. Uh, also, if you are a fifth grader, you get one. So pretty cool. I like this one. This is an NLT, and it comes in pink. Okay, sorry. Acts chapter 2, in my Bible, it's page 1138. <clears throat> On the day of Pentecost, stop right there. You hear Pentecost, you think, Christian holiday, celebrating the coming of the Holy Spirit. Do you think that's what they were thinking on this day? you think that's what the writer of Acts, Mr. Luke, was thinking on this day? They were not. There was no Christian holiday at Pentecost. What he's talking about can be found in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 23. And this is on page 129 of my Bible. You can flip there, but keep a thumb in Acts 2. Sorry, that was a little, I warned you late. Uh, Okay, verse 15. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you bring the bundle of grain to be lifted up as a special offering, count off seven full weeks. Seven Seven full weeks is how many days? 49. And then keep counting until the seventh Sabbath day. 50 days later, because it's the day after the seven weeks is full. You know that Pentecost means like 50, penta, 50? That's where Pentecost comes from. Uh, From wherever you live, bring two loaves of bread to be lifted up before the Lord as a special offering. So this is a a harvest holiday. This is equivalent maybe to our Thanksgiving. This is a holiday that recognizes and celebrates the generosity of God at the harvest. Very, very, very important if you're a farmer or living in an agricultural society. Now, if you just keep jumping down, they they do a bunch of offerings. Uh, It says in there that this is a day of rest, so you're not going to work. You're going to enjoy the fruit of the work that you've done. Uh, But then down in verse 22, this is kind of a big verse for us here in the vineyard. When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges, or another way to say this, the corners of your fields, and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. So, in Acts 2, it says, on the day of Pentecost, and so what's happening here is the people who were following Jesus were Jewish because Jesus was Jewish, and they're celebrating essentially their Thanksgiving Day. They're thinking about the generosity of God, but in this holiday is also a reminder that because God is generous, you too are also to be generous. That's why we do our Four Corners offering and say, hey, every, every week just bring a dollar. And if you want to give more, that's great. And this month we're giving to nurture a child Uganda to help pay for school fees, for that school and orphanage. Notice the theme, kind of that's, those two things go together. Go together. 
So we're thinking about the generosity of God and our drive to share the good things that God has given to us with others. Significant, because what happens on Pentecost? Well, I'm going to jump way ahead to verse, let's see here. Da, 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 da. 41 of Acts 2. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. In other words, in between there, the Holy Spirit comes. They share the good news about Jesus. Something about the message is empowered by God's very Spirit. And the fruit of the lives of the people who hear is shared and spread among not just like people living in Jerusalem, which is where they were, but if you notice there in the middle, there's a list of all kinds of like ethnicities of people who had come in, like verse 9. I mean, I'll just get lost in this. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, like it goes on and on. The idea that now the harvest has come. And you maybe remember the words of Jesus from, ah, is it Matthew 9? I didn't write it down. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Something that is key to notice when you talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and sometimes we only think about the flashy stuff, right? The signs and wonders, the, the special gifts. Something that the Spirit does is it takes the good news about Jesus that it planted in our heart, and it is designed to be shared. So the life that you're living and the message that you have actually is meant for the entire world. You don't know a single person who doesn't need the life of Jesus, who doesn't need to hear the good news of Jesus, who doesn't need to see what happens when the Holy Spirit dwells in somebody who loves Jesus. The world needs that. Let's jump back to the beginning of Acts chapter 2. See how maybe a Bible would be helpful because we're like, we're jumping all over the place here. Okay, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone who was present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Then they list all the people that were listening. Some people are amazed and some people think they're drunk. And then Peter stands up and he says, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. This is verse 14. These people are not drunk as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Now, what you see, <laughs> now, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Now he's quoting the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. He's saying this is happening today. Now, at Pentecost, the day that we're celebrating, God's pouring out of rain so that our crops can grow and we can live. We're celebrating the pouring out of God's Spirit so we can now have Jesus' life inside of us. In the last days, I will pour out my Spirit upon all my people, your sons 
and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. Does that sound like anything you heard earlier, the series we're in? Leviticus, blood, fire, and gospel. The gospel is the good news about Jesus. So, fire, which is kind of our main theme of the day, is very, very prevalent in the book of Leviticus. The word fire shows up, is it 73 times? I actually wrote this down. Do you guys care? 73 times? Someone cares. Uh, 74 times in the book of Leviticus, that's only in 27 chapters, the word burn, as in burnt offering, shows up 62 times. So if you're really good at math, you know that's a lot of times. In the middle of the book, in Leviticus chapter 9, this is like page 112 in my Bible, after several instructions are given about how to be a priest and what the priests are supposed to do, the priests begin their work. Listen to this in verse 1. After the ordination ceremony on the eighth day, Moses called together Aaron and his sons, the elders of Israel. He said to Aaron, take a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without defects, and present them to the Lord. And again, the reason Leviticus is so hard to read is because it just goes on and on and on and on like that. So this is what you do with the olive oil. This is what you do with the calf. And this is what you do with the lamb. So I'm not going to read all that, but I am going to jump down all the way to, I mean, if, you're, if you have your Bibles open, it's like he did this to the bull and he did put this on the altar. After that, it says, Aaron, in verse 22, Aaron raised his hands toward the people and he blessed them. Then after presenting the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offering, that's what all those verses before were all about, he stepped down from the altar. Then Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle, and when they came back out, they blessed the people again, and the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole community. Fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. Right? The fire here is equated very closely with the Lord's presence, just as it was in Acts 2. And when the people saw this, they first shouted with joy and then fell face down to the ground. And I love this little Hebrew word for fall. It's actually translated more, more often to fail. In other words, these guys, their legs, their knees failed them. When, the, when they saw that the presence of God was among them, they had this exuberant like rush of joy, but then like the kind of awe and wonder that made them fall to the ground, which is a posture of worship. And so what happens when God shows up? People worship. People bow down. Imagine what your reaction would be if, if you felt like and saw 
the glory of God in a room or in a place. You would feel joy and you would worship. What happens when God comes? There's a human, there's, a, there's an emotional, there's a heart response, but there's a body response as well. So, Leviticus is part of a bigger story, a part of a story that is not concluded, but is understood with fresh eyes through Acts 2. But Leviticus is written about or during the time of Moses. And so when you hear and see the prevalence of fire, you're understanding that this is part of the story of salvation, of Moses leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. And you'll think about, if you just think about, how fire and the presence of God operates in the book of Exodus that will also help us understand what happens when God shows up. So, Exodus chapter 3, which will take me just a second to find because I ran out of bookmarks. Verse what? Did I not put a verse? Ah, shoot. Well, let's just go with verse 1, and we'll read until we get to the part I was thinking about. One day... Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. This is amazing, said Moses. I must go and see this. Now, if you know the story of Moses... God appears to him in fire, right? And the next thing that happens is that God calls him into leadership. He gives Moses a purpose in his life that Moses is actually not super excited about because it's risky and it's uncomfortable. And he's got actually a pretty good life. Like he's got, got a pretty wife. Um, you guys remember her name? Yeah, me neither. Because it's a funny name, uh, but he's got sheep, and he, you know, his father-in-law seems to be like a pretty cool guy. Like he gets along with his father-in-law. He's like living in Midian, and while the rest of his people are are slaves in Egypt. Like this is this is a good, you know, move. And uh, he did some stuff in Egypt that he'll probably be remembered for and not exactly welcomed back. And so, when the Spirit of God comes, expect Him to call you into uncomfortable things, but with that risk and with that discomfort, expect meaning and purpose. Just saying, is this what you want me to do? You guys remember what I just said, right? Even though I got distracted. Okay. The next place the fire shows up is in Exodus 13. This is after Moses has led, have led the people um, out of Egypt. So they're in the wilderness. Verse 20, Exodus 4, 13, verse 20. The Israelites left Sakoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. So again, we find the presence of God being represented as fire. 
once again, it's giving direction. It's giving leadership. In other words, the people don't go wherever they please. And I mean, if I was Moses, if I were the people, I would have just, you know, taken a straight line toward the promised land, right? But they decide for us to actually like thrive and live and survive, we are going to go and follow the presence of the Lord. Where God goes, we will go. And it's pretty interesting. A lot of Leviticus is actually about what happens in the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. The, they set up camp and they put the tabernacle in the center of the camp. And the, the pillar of fire comes and rests on the tabernacle, representing the presence and the glory and the power uh, of God. And just like the burning bush, the tabernacle doesn't burn. So you have this tent with this big pillar of fire coming out of it for the people to see and remember God is with us. <laughs> and the tent doesn't burn just as the bush didn't burn. So we're talking about Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit and uh, the, the symbolic like reality of fire coming. Fire that spreads, designed to spread out into the world. The Spirit of God is meant to be like shared and to be spread out into the world. The fire that calls us into purpose and leads us and directs us. One of the other things that the Spirit does, and this comes up in Paul, who wrote, again, a lot of the New Testament, but also in Leviticus, right? It's all about holiness. A uh, big theological Greek word there is sanctification. Sanctification means like the process of becoming holy or becoming more like God, becoming more like the divine, becoming more like Jesus. And so, for instance, real clear statement here in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, on page 1254. From Paul talking about what the Spirit does. He says in verse 13, As for us, we can't help but thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters loved by the Lord. We are always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation, a salvation that comes through the Spirit, who makes you holy. And also salvation here that comes through your belief or trust or faith in the truth. And when we talk about salvation, we're not talking about simply the reality that those who love and follow Jesus like go to heaven when they die. Salvation in the mind of the follower of Jesus as it was in the mind of the Jewish person leaving Egypt is holistic. And so if you are lost, or if you are empty, or if you are guilty, salvation is you are innocent, and you are loved, and you are found, and you are filled, and you are given purpose. And so salvation is accomplished. The sanctification, the being made holy, is accomplished by the Holy Spirit. And this sounds like pretty great, right? This is actually really good news, because I'm not super great at self-improvement. <laughs> Um, it's super hard to change. Has anybody noticed this? I think the older you are, the more you realize how hard it is to change your habits, especially like in the high-pressure situations. There's some, some attitudes or words that get shared that you don't necessarily uh, feel good about that you come to regret. So the process of sanctification sounds great. 
And sometimes when we think about the Holy Spirit, it's all like warm fuzzies, right? And uh, I think that is good. Like the Holy Spirit can give you that warm fuzzy feeling. But let's check Malachi chapter 3. That is at the end of the Old Testament. Here's another prophet. And this is like page 993. I hope we put a verse on that one. Oh, man. Here's the problem. I leave my Bible here because if I bring it home, then I'll forget to bring it. But then I come here, and I don't necessarily make all my markings. Uh, Lord of God. Looking for it. Looking for it. Oh, yeah, I think it's there at the beginning. I'll be there. I'll get there. Who will be able to endure it? Verse 2. When the Lord comes. Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal, or like a strong soap that leeches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross that's like the impurities. He will purify the Levites, the priests. Uh, we'll just We'll get to that <laughs> and how we are all priests in relation to Jesus because we get direct access to God. In the wilderness, in the Old Testament, it's really only the priests who get this direct access to God, who get to go into the most holy of places. And only one person gets to go into the most, most special holy place. But one of the moves that happens when the Spirit comes is now we all have access, like really close into the access to the Spirit of God. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. It might be that the flames of heaven are hotter than the flames of hell. Because the flames of heaven actually burn away that inside of us, which is unholy, which is impure, which is not reflective of the heart of God. And sometimes when we see fire in the old in the Bible, we think, oh, it's judgment, and oh, it's like kind of the old Zeus with the lightning bolts, and I'm going to smite you. But what if what happens when God shows up? is that he is so pure and so holy that some things inside of us change. And what if that change is pretty uncomfortable? What if that change hurts just a little bit? If you've been following Jesus for very long, you know that sanctification, the process of being made holy, the process of being transformed to be like Jesus, sometimes hurts. Sometimes it means looking in the mirror and realizing I am not the person I wish I was. Sometimes this actually happens when we come in or encounter people who reflect the love or the holiness of God better than we do. Here's a stupid example, and not really about God, but I remember growing up, I, we had ice cream after dinner every single night. Uh, we put chocolate on the ice cream and peanut butter in the ice cream, I, like almost every single night. It never occurred to me to have anything but ice cream for dessert. And I love ice cream still. But then I met someone who ate fruit for dessert. And I thought, this is so strange. Why would anybody eat fruit? Like, I can understand putting fruit on ice cream. 
but fruit for dessert. And I just, I like, I didn't even understand it. I didn't even have a paradigm for it. And then I was like, oh, it's healthier. Uh, and, and it's still sweet. And I thought, maybe my eating habits aren't, like, the best. And so, simply by their choice of health, I am exposed. And I have this kind of uncomfortable moment of self-awareness. And my, maybe my first motive is to be like, well, they're just, like, what's wrong with them? Holier than thou, healthier than thou. They're, they're not going to tell me what to eat. Not that they were. But I defended my own behavior through judgment. And then I sort of, like, realized sometimes I can eat fruit for dessert, and it's better for me, and it's okay. This is a very different view of God and the holiness of God and the fire of heaven than I think a lot of people have. I used to donate plasma. Um, I have a little, you know what that is? You get paid for it. It's super great if you're broke, which I was. And uh, I would, the nurses really liked me. I'm not sure why that was. But one, one nurse uh, who was raised in the church, but definitely not uh, active anymore, knew like I, I, like I would talk about church and I would talk about Jesus. And she was like, oh, I'm never going into a church. Because if I walked into a church, like God would send fire from heaven. And I thought, that's not God. And, and that's why they build churches out of stone, so they wouldn't burn down. But that was stupid. But, like, the reality is, is that in Hebrews calls God, the book of Hebrews calls God a consuming fire. The reality is, is that the, the flames, maybe, that we should not be afraid of to avoid but brace ourselves for in order to be sanctified is that the flames of heaven are actually loving, even if they're painful. When God shows up, the idea is that we would be changed. That the Holy Spirit would refine us and burn away the impurities and draw out what is good and beautiful. And holy. And so I want to invite you to stand. And I will simply invite God's Spirit to come and remind you that the love of God is peace. Mind you that the work of God is lifelong in your life. And remind you that if you're just living in a comfortable, unexamined, I'm good, it doesn't matter if people disagree with me or don't disagree with me, like, just judge them. Like, that's not actually what God's design is for your heart. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. We ask that you would send your presence into our hearts, that you would speak to us about calling and purpose and sharing the good news, but also about the change that you want to do in us. Open us up to the change that you want for us.
Come Holy Spirit. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.